0: Welcome to episode 21 of the KBB Review podcast from Taylor's Media with me, Managing Editor Andy Davis. It's very warm up here in the loft today. I'm not saying it's stuffy, but when I went downstairs for lunch, I looked a bit like I'd been building a bridge on the River Kwai. It's a testament to how long we've been in lockdown, and if you go back to the first few episodes, I'm complaining about how cold it was. And if that doesn't define Englishness, I don't know what does. In this episode, we're talking to a couple of very interesting guests with some very insightful views on the market as we emerge from lockdown. Firstly, we have David Barber. He's the new Managing Director of Ideal Standard in the UK, and what a time to take that big chair. He's also the only Barber I've been anywhere near in the last two months. Thank God this is only audio. Then we have the return of Tony Robson from retailer Daytrue down here in London. He's going to update us on how things are going for him since we last spoke, episode 10 if you want to go back. And he's done some very interesting marketing, which is definitely worth hearing about. And he's also got some strong views on the supplier-retailer relationship. But first... Here's your plug for Taylist Media, and specifically, I want more of you to subscribe to this podcast. I can see all the numbers, and they're fantastic. I've been genuinely overwhelmed by how many of you are listening to us, but most of you listen through your web browser, and I really do recommend using a podcast app on your phone. It's the best way to subscribe, which means you get notified when a new episode arrives, and you can also listen when you're out and about, of course. And by out and about, I mean standing in the queue at Sainsbury's. Simply search KBB Review, or one word, in the likes of Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Right, let's get the view of what's happening now from the guys in charge of one of the biggest suppliers in the market. We're going to talk to Dave Barber, who's the new Managing Director of Ideal Standard. Dave, are you there? Uh,
1: I am, Andrew. How
0: are you? I'm all right, sir. How are you getting on? Yeah,
1: not bad at all, thank you. It's strange working from home after all all these weeks. We're doing our best to keep the business moving in these very strange circumstances. How are you managing in lockdown?
0: We're doing okay. I'm stuck up here in my loft, and I'm just watching the world from my tiny little window, and I'm like the Anne Frank of the KBB industry. Now, the first question, I suppose, Dave, is you've just taken over technically as the new MD of Ideal Standard here in the UK. You've picked quite a time to do it, haven't you?
1: For sure. It certainly is a strange and challenging time, but Um, as I said to my colleagues, you you can't always choose your timing. But yeah, it's certainly a a strange and challenging time, not just for Idle Standard but for all. But it's a challenge I'm looking forward to on behalf of Ideal Standard.
0: Now, of course, you're not new to Idle Standard, are you? So give us a bit of your history with the company.
1: No, I'm... Entering my 17th year with the Ideal Standard Group, I initially joined to be the finance director of one of their logistics companies when we had quite a very different structure under the American Standard days back in, in the early 2000s. I did that role for a few years and then I moved into the main bathroom business and I've had a number of roles. I've had a number of European roles, a number of UK roles. And I've done the managing director role on an interim basis before, so this isn't entirely new to me. I know my way around our business and our way around our European colleagues. Uh, but it's nice to have the leadership of the role. It's a privilege to be honest. Andrew, to Have an opportunity to lead such a great business.
0: Would it be fair to say, Dave, that it's good to have a certain amount of stability in that big chair at Ideal Standard, isn't it? You, you know, if you were a football team, you've gone through a few managers in the in the last few seasons, should we say? How important is it for you to bring that stability to the job?
1: Clearly, it's important to have a degree of, of continuity and a degree of stability at the top, but I guess to carry on your analogy of the football team, it's actually the players on the pitch that score the goals, so so whilst it's you know, important as a leadership role, what's really more important is a team that I have working for me. I have a great leadership team, a lot of experience, a lot of stability there, but I think even more important than the leadership team, we have an amazing depth of knowledge in our business, an incredible team, amazingly committed, uh, which makes my job, you know, really easy. Uh, well, not really easy, but, but much easier than, than it could have been. And I think that's even more important than leadership. It's the stability, it's the knowledge, it's the commitment right across our business that. Has kept us moving forward in times when maybe the leadership has looked unstable, when we've had change of leadership. But it's, it's that lower level, the low, but they're the ones that really make stuff happen. And I've just got an amazing team.
0: Give us an idea of what the, the current status of Ideal Standard is today, because obviously every company's undertaking lots of measures around social distancing, around supply, about supply chains. What's your current snapshot of Ideal Standard today?
1: As we sit here today, we are, we are continuing to do business and, you know, we are looking forward to doing more business as we move forward. Uh, I think just prior to the lockdown being announced, I think most people envisaged some degree of lockdowns. We, were ma- we managed to get the vast majority of our office-based staff working from home. Uh, it was a bit of a scramble, to be honest, to get laptops and headsets because, you know, everybody was trying to get them. So just prior to lockdown, the vast majority of our office-based people were able to work from home. So we we're in a, an OK state when lockdown came from the office's side. Obviously, the first thing that's been at the forefront of all of our minds as we've moved forward is to make sure that we can work in a safe environment. That's been That's been quite easy from the office side because we're all working from home. From the distribution centre side, we are still operating a skeleton staff out of our distribution centre. In Armitage, so clearly we're practicing social distancing, not doing two-man handling, so that has reduced significantly our capacity. But equally, the market demand has been, you know, significantly reduced. So we are we are open for business. We're supplying all the customers that need to be supplied, but we're doing that with social distancing and the, you know the welfare of our staff be, being at the forefront of all our decisions. Uh, When it comes to the factory, the the vast majority of the folks in our Rudy factory are currently furloughed. And that's quite typical across most of our European factory base at the moment. As demand has been significantly reduced, we have reduced the output of our factories accordingly. And we'll have a, a rolling plan to open these factories across our European footprint as and when demand dictates that. I think April, like many, many businesses, saw a significant drop-off in revenue and activity. Like revenue dropped more than activity, but that was in line with our, with our key merchant base. But I think one thing that we're all very proud of in Ideal Standard is our, was our um, ability to help on, on the COVID battle. We were, we're at the forefront of supplying a clinical basins and clinical taps to these pop-up testing stations and to, to the Nightingale Hospital. So... It was a real testament to everyone in the back office, in, in the supply chain, uh, our sales team, and also working closely with, with many of our, our our good merchants to supply the, these products on a very, very timely basis. So, yeah, it's been a real privilege to play our own very small part in the fight against COVID-19. Thing.
0: One of the things about Ideal Standard is that you clearly have lots of customers that stretch right across from all aspects of the market. So you have retail, retail, you have merchants, you have commercial contracts, and then you have sort of big government contract type stuff as well. You are, I would imagine, quite a big supplier to the NHS when it comes to this kind of thing. So when you say there's been a drop-off in demand, where has that demand dropped off? The
1: demand has dropped off everywhere, but... To, to differing degrees. So clearly, retail has been very, very heavily impacted. New house build has been heavily impacted. The healthcare market has clearly been impacted because a lot of existing bills in hospitals has been slowed or stopped. But we have seen somewhat that offset by some hospital renovations continuing, the Nightingale hospitals and, and the pop up testing stations has held up that side of the non-residential business reasonably well, but it still doesn't compensate for, for the drops elsewhere. And I suppose interestingly, but not massively surprisingly, the online part of our business, which is a small part of our overall business, has held up exceedingly well as bathrooms, like many other commodities, as people have sat at home, turn to the internet to order when their normal outlets have been closed to them.
0: The main supply chain that you have, you don't deal directly with retail customers, for example, do you? You we, would go through yes distribution?
1: No, we do. No, we do, we do. Oh, okay. we do both. We, we deal through uh, the, the, key, the key national uh, distributors, but we also deal direct with, with not all retailers, but, but with some of the larger retailers, we have that direct supply account.
0: Right, yes, of course. What I'm building up to here is what you as a big supplier, a big manufacturer, should or could be doing to support those retailers uh, in terms of the, the credit that you have with them or the support you can give them financially, I guess, to try and keep their businesses as, as liquid as possible?
1: That's a really good question that we have a responsibility to, to the supply
0: chain. But that responsibility go, goes both ways, Andrew,
1: as well. Everyone in the supply chain has a responsibility to each other to make sure that as an industry, as supply chain, as partners, we all come through this together. And every one of us in, in that chain has its own challenges, whether you're a manufacturer, a distributor, a merchant or, or a retailer. And we need to look at each of these on the, in their individual merit and, and, where, and where, we can, where we can assist. We will. You know, there are occasions we may have looked at extended credit, but to be you know, absolutely frank, we also have our own bills to pay. And we also look to our customers to where they can to, to pay their bills. It's a case of sometimes differentiating between those that can and won't and those that can't. So for sure, we have a role to play, but so does everyone else in the supply chain to make sure that the entire the entire chain remains
0: liquid. One of the things that some of your predecessors have had to do, and also you would have been involved with that well as well for the time that you've been there, is there's been a lot of, uh, I guess, upheaval in the, the state of manufacturing in the UK for ideal standard. What's your gut feeling now that you're in that big chair about what this current situation might do to affect that and what the sort of longer-term view on manufacturing in the UK is?
1: So, Idle Standard, as we know, is the only large-scale ceramic
0: manufacturer left in the
1: UK. And and that gives us a a unique position and a unique advantage. I guess there are a number of possible ways of looking at how COVID-19 will impact manufacturers. Uh, demand might be down overall in in the near to medium term, which could create some challenges. On the flip side, though, I think we'll see a move to to insuring. So many many supply chains have have looked to China uh, and to other far flung destinations to supply their products, and I think many people now will start to that they, they won't abandon the Chinese route, sure, but I think many will look for maybe dual sourcing or a high degree of security of their supply chain and look closer to home. And I think that stands anybody who has a UK manufacturing facility, be it in, in ceramics or in any industry for that matter, in probably better stead than before we went into this crisis.
0: Yes, that's that's an odd paradox, isn't it, compared to the the situation of the last decade or so, where clearly globalisation has led to to a cut in manufacturing in the UK, certainly in Stoke and those kind of historical places for pottery, where it's been decimated for that very reason. And as I say, predecessors of yours have had to make some very, very difficult decisions uh, in what to do, not just in ideal standard, but in lots of companies as well. But what you're saying here is that, Globalisation of things like manufacturing might be rethought or reskewed because of this. Yeah, and, and
1: I'm talking something like generically here about the UK, UK yeah. Um I, I think there probably will be a rebalancing of, of what's made in the UK compared to what's been made uh, what, what's been made elsewhere. And, and, and we, as, as I understand it, always need to be responsible. We always need to look at our marketplace, we need to look at our costs. And we'll always keep all of our operations, not just in the UK. But across all our European operations are under review, but I I do think that that, that onshoring is um, is going to be a benefit for, for much of UK manufacturing.
0: Well, that brings us to I think the obvious question here to kind of round ourselves off with. What are your forecasts? What's your thoughts? What's your predictions for what is going to happen over the next twelve month period for your company, but the the bathroom market as a whole?
1: Yes, yeah, that that's a question that I think we all real struggle with at the moment as we try to plan. Our way out of the near term, the medium term, and the longer term. I think from an ideal standard perspective, we had a very clear strategy going into this business, which was, you know, we, we refer to it as reinforcing our foundations and building on new strengths. And I think that strategy will be the same strategy when we come out of this crisis. We are very fortunate as a business that we have a quite a diversified customer base. We are a, a multi product manufacturer. You know, we don't just you know make or sell ceramic. We're in the entire uh, bathroom business. We have very strong strength in residential and non residential, as we know, and we're building our capability in retail, e washrooms, and high-rise. And I don't think that strategy will change. It may be some of the some of the focus will change. It may be some of the timings will change, and we'll course so, adjust. Our business to take advantages of those channels that we feel are coming out quicker and course adjust to those that are coming out you know, slightly slower. So, for example, all of us in our industry, we are a resilient industry and IdleStand is you know, an incredibly resilient company. But if, if we look at the, the more medium term drivers of demand, so we have a structural shortage of new housing in this country. So I think that will return to a degree of normality. It may be a certainly in the very short term, we'll see a reduction in demand as the house builders make sure they can operate with safely from the social distancing. There'll be some liquidity issues in the, in the wider market. There are you know reductions in, in mortgages available on the on the loans value percentages. But that will create, I think, a short term. Potential uh, lack of demand in new housing, but structurally that demand is there. So all of those that play in that in that area, I think will continue uh, to grow. As we come out of here, the government is going to look, be looking for some financial stimulus, and um, you know the typical first port of call of any financial stimulus is infrastructure projects, hospitals and schools. I think they will again be you know even before even before this crisis, the, the new government under Boris Johnson. We're talking about investment in infrastructure, regional investment. Uh, and I think that will continue under some shape or form. I think retail, I think retail might have some some short term hardships. You know, often it's a big discretion we spend. And in the short term, until people become a little bit more sure of their, of their income, sure that their jobs are safe, we might see in the medium term some challenges in that sector. But again, that's a resilient sector. We are, as a nation, we're, in, we're addicted to improving our homes. So I think in the long term, COVID-19 will not have a structural damage to our industry. I just think certain channels will return a little bit quicker than the others. And we, like I'm sure many of our competitors, will just, you know, will tweak our strategy uh, to take advantage of those channels that are coming out quicker and, and tweak it to those that are coming out a little bit slower.
0: So the other question here is, will the next 12 months see Villaroy and Bok buying Ideal Standard or not?
1: Oh, there is a really good question. I would imagine Villaroy and Bok, like everybody, is now focused on their own business. Clearly, though, there was talk in the history about that a month or two ago. COVID-19 clearly changes that. We as Ideal Standard are owned by private equity. We are an attractive business, whether it's to, to Villaroy or Bok whether it's to somebody else but what is clear is that our shareholders are in no rush to dispose of idle standard we are a quality business and they will remain invested in us as long as as they deem fit and as long as required uh, we have strong business plans here in the uk strong business plans in europe whether we stay in our existing ownership whether we go to villa or in or somewhere else we'll remain a really really strong player in the uk
0: on that brilliantly diplomatic answer, let's round off, Dave, with the most important question of all here, which I know everyone's been waiting for, you as well. Dave, what is your deserted Kitchen Island disc? What is your most positive feel-good song?
1: Ooh, I think the one that always lifts my spirit and always gets me up to do my worst ever dad dancing, I think is Reach for the Stars. I think that's a really great uplifting pop song.
0: By S Club 7. By S Club 7, indeed. I
1: thought that was the same, but absolutely by S Club 7. Reach for the stars.
0: Well, uh, that has surprised me. So thank you very much for surprising me. I would not have put you down for for a 90s bubblegum pop choice. I would not. I would have thought you'd be a kind of Eagles kind of guy.
1: No, you haven't seen my dancing, Andrew. My dancing fits exactly to uh 90s bubblegum pop.
0: Well, there you go. Well, that's a completely separate podcast, Dad Dancing <laughs> with Dave Barber dave thank you so much for your time i can only imagine how busy you are doing everything at the moment so thanks for sparing us a little bit of time today and we'll catch up again soon hopefully the other side of this thing yeah
1: you're very welcome and stay safe thank you very
0: much okay let's go back and visit another retailer that we've spoken to in previous episodes to catch up with how they're getting on hopefully down the line here we've got tony robson from day true hello tony Hi, Andy. For those that haven't heard you on the first episode, Tony, give us the sort of 30-second pricey of Day True and who you are and what you do.
2: So we're a kitchens, bathrooms, home business. You know, our superpower is kitchens and bathrooms, but by the nature of the design process that we go through, we've, we've sort of enhanced our offering to, to be the home. But we believe that, you know, uh, you know, every space sort of works from a kitchen or a bathroom, you know, be it a living space or you know a bedroom area from a bathroom. So it's kitchens, bathrooms, home. We are uh, mid to top end. We are very design focused and we live our lives on trying to give better lives and doing things a little bit differently.
0: Yeah, you have three showrooms don't you basically in and around sort of sophisticated areas of London.
2: Certain levels of sophistication in different in, in the different places. Yeah, we've got of Ale. We have one in Chelsea. And then we have our newest one uh, and our and our biggest one in Wimbledon Village, all of which are closed at the moment.
0: Yes, but they are very very nice showrooms. But um, you're not going to open up in Penge anytime soon, are you? That's my point.
2: Uh, no, potentially not. Penge is on our hit list for the foreseeable future.
0: Hey, it's it's on the up, Tony. It's on the up. I'm telling you that now. <laughs> the Penge Triangle, <laughs> yeah, that's a real thing. The last time we spoke, clearly you were dealing very much with the immediate impact of what was happening. Obviously, we're a few weeks down the line now. Give us an idea of where you're up to, how's it going, uh, if you've had inquiries, what kind of business you've been getting in or not getting in.
2: I suppose it's in chunks, really. The first couple of weeks, you know, I spent virtually all of my time trying to simulate what was happening, sorting out finances first and foremost, speaking to landlords, suppliers, banks, etc., etc. We then learned the new word furlough. Currently, the majority of our staff are furloughed, which has obviously been there's good and bad, in it? The, yeah, so so the first couple of weeks I was, was doing that. The second couple of weeks, we were incredibly then busy because we'd furloughed all our staff. We had projects that were still on site and projects that were about to start and clients that, you know, had paid a design fee. And, of course, reasonably thought that we could carry on doing their design work because, you know, we were just sitting at home doing it. And really, you know, that put a lot of pressure on myself and Hayley, and my business partner, wife, because all the work fell on us. So we then spent the week three and four incredibly busy as week five and six and one and two have being. But through it, we've managed to get some balances in on jobs, which has helped with cash inflows. We've got probably, I think, five new clients during the period that have all paid design fees with four of them coming through social media who had seen us on social media which is great news we've had a few issues where we've not been able to get supply so therefore not been able to get balances etc but all in all I have to say it's been other than how incredibly busy myself and Hayley have been and we just don't know really know where the last six weeks and every day goes it's not been as bad as it could have been. It's probably not been as bad as some other businesses have probably had it, or industries, particularly food and beverage industry, which I'm I'm personally really worried about. And it's been okay. And we have picked business up and we have remained positive with the team, doing lots of training, coffee and cake mornings to keep motivation up, trying to add a bit of fun and, and various other things. So it's made it very busy, but it's, it's given us a lot to do and it's given us a lot of things to um, be able to reflect on our business.
0: I mean, I suppose it's okay and not as bad as it could have been. Is about as good as anybody <laughs> yeah, can uh, yeah. hope or expect for at the moment, isn't it? So when you say you've, you've picked up some business, some people coming through, uh, through social media, how confident are you that they might convert into an actual sale?
2: You know, as our mod, our business model is, we, we charge design fees and we charge a reasonable amount for a design fee. And realistically, anyone who's committed to paying as a design fee will go ahead with the project. We've already had the discussions about their budgets, what they want to spend, what they're looking for. So they've done their groundwork of who we are and what we can offer them. So at that point of them giving the design fee, they're committed to us. You know, normally, I would say to our business, we should be converting ninety to ninety-five percent of the the projects that we charge a design fee for.
0: So has this led to you having some confidence that business can continue or go on? When we first spoke, I think it was all very black and white, wasn't it? With most people, we were either locked down or we weren't. What's become clear as the weeks have gone on is that there won't be a day when they just suddenly stop lockdown. It will be a very slow ease out of it. Are you confident that this kind of new way of working will work for you?
2: Yes, I am. This new way of working is an interesting line because I don't think that's really defined what a new way of working is yet. In many ways, it may be the same way of working, just slightly reimagined. I'm doing a lot of work personally at getting ready to go back and what that looks like, but I'm also doing a lot of work on them reimagining what the business can be. What have we learned from this? What can we do different? You know, one of the things that straight off the top of my head is video technology, Zoom calling. Some of the presentations that Hayley's been doing with the clients um, over the last few weeks have probably been more in depth. Uh, more considered quicker decisions have been made because you know the husband and wife there are there for example together making decisions together rather than being one or the other so certainly I think the future could be that we can turn projects around quicker make get decisions quicker I think we can interact with our clients in a different way the same way because we will always be a business that relies on the beautiful showrooms, as you've said, the approachable nature of our cell. But I think we can use technology to enhance that um, because I don't think people are scared of it anymore.
0: No, and I think the businesses that can be reasonably nimble when these new ways of thinking come through uh, are the ones that will end up doing well out the other side of it. 100%
2: 100% I mean you know I pride myself on our business of being progressive continuous improvement nimble agile you know I pride data on being that and that's not just the way we do business it's the people within it you know led by me who is continuously looking for new ideas new ways of doing business so for example one of the things I'm thinking about is commercial design you know what our skill base be very good for designing restaurants for example or office spaces where we're integrating our philosophy of how you live but then using that that knowledge and putting that into these spaces that probably are going to be driven to be a little bit more homely a bit more of a well-being spaces you know a little bit more considered so that's just another channel that I'm looking at at the moment as well where we can take advantage of our our skills and superpowers i suppose
0: marketing is obviously a big part of what's going on through all this is keeping yourself out there but take getting the tone right getting the content of that marketing right is a thing that lots of people are are finding challenging a bit you've done some really interesting stuff because as you say you're a big foodie and you've carried on that interest into doing some marketing around the day true brand haven't you tell us a little bit about that
2: it's born from passion, really. We, we, have, we have this service, and it's something we're going to start singing a lot about, which is a, which is a better life service, where we have you know a lady who works for us, Erica, who we met at the kitchen design course, TK kitchen design course, actually. She was um, one of the students we met her in the first year. And she's a chain cook and really, really passionate foodie like myself. So, we, we, you know, we, our, our vision as a business is to create better lives through design. So we have that and then we're both foodies and then because of the lockdown a lot of these chefs have gone on Instagram and have sort of opened their homes up to the mass public and started cooking. There's kids running around and screaming and everything else and one chef in particular resonated both with myself and Erica and that was uh, Tom Aiken. there was kids screaming there was a lovely young lady called O that was asking the questions on his Instagram feed while he was and then he was just opening everything up and cooking for us and we loved it and myself and Erica was you know emailing each other and now what's happening oh have you seen Tom's doing this Tom's oh Tom look at Tom's sourdough oh look at Tom's bread mother and everything else and it was just it was just fab and I just got thinking. Wouldn't it be great if we could get someone like Tom Akins to give us some advice on how, you know, his experience within professional kitchens could help us as designers give our clients better lives? And I just, I just emailed him to be honest with you, Andy, and said, Tom, we do, we've we really enjoyed looking at watching you. We've, I've got this idea. You know, our vision is to give clients better lives, and and I've got this idea where you know, using your knowledge of professional kitchens and what you're doing at home and everything else now, is there any chance that we could arrange, you know, an interview to ask you a few questions get some knowledge? And I says, and we'll use it in our business. And I obviously told him a bit about data and how we work. I says, but I'm going to share it to the world as well. And he said, yeah, he said, look, I've had a look on your website. I think what you do is great. Really resonated with him because everyone else had been asking him, what's your favorite restaurant? What knives do you use? What's your favourite dish? Okay. And we, you know, we we're asking him, you know, you know, what's the merits of marble to stainless steel, and how do you store food, and, and what's the best way of storing food, and things like that. So we we're asking things that he found, I think, really relevant, and where he really felt as though his skills could give really good information. Over, we've just put it on our YouTube channel. We've just posted it onto all the social media channels with links to the website to be able to watch it. And like I said, I'd welcome everyone to go and have a look at it, all kitchen designers to go in and, you know, listen to it. There's a hell of a lot to learn there.
0: Well, we'll put the link up in the episode description here. But what I loved about this was, A, it's, it was a very organic thing. It just kind of came about because it's something you're very interested in. It wasn't a kind of very you know, clinically thought-through marketing strategy or anything. It comes very much from your own passion for this. Yeah. But it also very much fits in with the day two brand, as you say. It is clearly a bit of a brand association because Tom Aitkins is a brand as well, which doesn't do either of you any harm. So I just love the fact that it's not a direct sell, but it's very much a brand extension exercise.
2: Yeah, and there has never been any talk of any commercial arrangement or agreement or anything. It has been, Tom, we want to learn from you, and Tom has has wanted to impart his knowledge. But I think he's, you know, through the few discussions that we've had, I think he's learned from us as well. Potentially, he doesn't realise the level of technology that's available in domestic kitchens at the moment. It's, it's gone on to other things. And, uh, you know, I'm going to hope that we can talk to more chefs and, and keep the chefs in real kitchens, hashtag chefs in real kitchens going. But of course, we do kitchens, bathrooms and home. So straight away, I'm thinking, okay, well, how can we develop this better life theme for the bathrooms and homes? So I'm hoping yeah. eventually that we can get some high level facial beauty person that we can, we want to talk about bathroom rituals. There's a, a friend of mine who's a general manager in a top restaurant that really focus on hospitality. I'd like there to be a whole series of it eventually.
0: Well, before I ventured into the world of kitchens and bathrooms a very long time ago, I I wrote about the hospitality industry. I wrote for a B2B magazine. And one of the features I wrote once was to get Michelin-starred chefs and ask them what their guilty pleasure was. And the answer from 95% of them, Michelin-starred restaurant chefs, was a McDonald's egg (laughs) McMuffin. That should
2: be everyone's gary pleasure. Boy, I've missed that so in go. the last six
0: weeks. One of the other things that I wanted to have a chat with you about, because you've been quite open about it on social media, is suppliers and the relationship with suppliers and whether they are or are not supporting retailers particularly with credit. Now, we don't want to sort of get in a very litigious way and start naming and shaming people here, but give us a bit of an overview of what your feeling is and what kind of response you've had from people that you've asked for support.
2: This is an interesting one because my overall support I've had has been very good. And, and before I, I give an opinion, I'd also like to say is it's not easy for anyone. These are incredibly difficult times. You know, my, my big Italian supplier came back on Monday. And we had some training with them last Thursday. And it was amazing to think that they had gone through exactly the same issue as we had gone through, you know, 4,000 miles away in a different country. So first of all, I appreciate it's not easy. And Andrew, to be honest with you, my frustration is not just about what's happening now. It's about this whole supplier-customer relationship anyway, where I think in our industry, the supplier has the control or has too much control and and, and, and dictates too much in many ways. I only had a supplier say to me, mistakenly, because they know that I hate it, mistakenly say to me yesterday, well, you have to have a certain amount of appliances in your showroom which is something I normally do not accept because that's not the day true way. So, you know, this whole thing about paying, for, as you know, this whole thing about paying for displays, I find incredible when, you know, I'm paying for the display by the massive rent bill that I have and giving them the space in, their, in my showroom, which is very well marketed and very beautiful, as you've rightly said, to sell their brands within our showrooms. And I have to pledge having to pay for that. So my thoughts on social media, you know, come from, I suppose, the overall picture rather than just now. Do I think the bigger boys should be supporting as smaller businesses more? Some of them, yes. Some of them have been great. The, The ones I've had the issues with are probably the billion pound companies, to be honest with you, the ones that probably can afford it more. The ones that are probably more dictatorial when it comes to the way that they do business. The ones that probably haven't offered as much training support through this, through video support for the teams and everything else. I would assume it, they are the same ones virtually all the other retailers who are having these same issues with. And all I will say is that the ones that have supported us through it will be the ones that I'll be working with in the future. And I think there'll be a massive shift in the market for people thinking like that as well in the future
0: devil's advocate here is if the suppliers were sat here responding to that I'm sure that they would say look the fact that they are a multi-million pound business means that their debt is also of a similar scale and they have to manage that debt in the same way that you have to manage yours the debt that they have the credit that they give out is underwritten by insurance and if they cannot if the credit insurance industry is not also changing the way it operates then they cannot change either they don't want to underwrite millions and millions of pounds or euros themselves. Yeah,
2: and and, and Andrew, I agree with. I, I, you know, I'm from a manufacturing background. You know, as you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a corporate boy. You know, initially, so I, I get it. I've worked for these companies, you know, at high levels, and I get it. And as I've said, the vast majority have been really supportive. Anyway, I suppose all I can say is I'm fighting for myself. I probably made most of my comments two or three weeks ago, although everything's blurred at the minute when things were a little bit rawer. Yeah, and and like I say, I don't want I don't want it to be thought of as being a bemoaner of all manufacturers because I'm not. Some of them are fantastic. Some of them have been really good through this. It, like I said, for me, it's a more holistic view that has been my view for the, the whole time that I've worked in this industry. That I think the way that the supplier-customer relationship needs to be evolved, looked at and evolved anyway.
0: Well, I think those kind of evolutions can only be accelerated through the experience of this situation.
2: Companies have got to be more agile and they've got to change and they've got to be different. You've only got to see the companies that have gone bump over the last two or three years, in my opinion, Andrew, are the ones that have stayed still they're the ones that have not developed they're the ones that have not that they've, they've not been agile they've not been progressive probably because of their size
0: we're at the stage of this whole thing now where everybody's getting quite introspective and philosophical about what they're going to learn from it when this all does come out to the others in the wash what will they have learned how they're going to move how are they going to change and again that's a challenge that's but it's also an exciting challenge if you're the kind of person which you are i think gets sort of quite driven by change and driven by evolutions in things Look, we're going to have to wrap it up, I think. Time's going to beat us here, Tony. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, so we yeah. could do this for hours, can't yeah, we? Yeah, we can absolutely. Do yeah, 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 yeah. You are a returner, OK? Yeah. You're part of the Returners Club. So that does mean wow. you get to have a track two on your deserted Kitchen Island discs. Okay. So what are you going to go for?
2: I went for Let's Dance last time, which... Um, you did. Which is my karaoke it's your karaoke classic. go-to. So I'm going to use the song that whenever whenever anyone if we're ever in a pub or a venue where someone says has anyone got any requests it's the one thing I always say and I always say have you got true by Spandau Ballet
0: right. <laughs> I'm guessing you sing along to that as well do you I do yes absolutely we haven't had any sort of new romantic stuff yet. I think that's pretty good. We should have some more of that. Right. But look, Tony, thanks so much for your time, mate. It's always fascinating to hear your your insight on things. And good luck. And we'll catch up again soon when hopefully, hopefully, we'll be the other side of a, of a lockdown. Cheers, Andy. Thanks a lot. Massive thanks, of course, to David Barber from Ideal Standard and Tony Robson from Daytru. Don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app and we'll be back for another episode early next week. See you then.